Ecclesiastics 5, 1 and 2, Solomon tells us, As you enter the house of God, keep your ears open and your mouth shut. It is evil to make mindless offerings to God. Don't make rash promises. Don't be hasty in bringing matters before the Lord. After all, God is in heaven and you are here on earth, so let your words be few. Listening is an element of prayer that stands alone. To listen in prayer is to mentally absorb divine instruction from God concerning specific matters for the day. It's to absorb instruction. We're supposed to take it in. That's what listening is. The topic of listening would not seem all that difficult if you just thought about it. But think back in your life from the time you were young. How many times have you been told to listen? Or have said or been told, you aren't listening to me. I think we can all say that it must be important because, you know, we tell people that. We tell our kids that, our husbands. You know, you aren't listening to me. (laughs) The art of conversation has been the justification of many books, classes, seminars. There are books on effective communication, making your dialogue work for you, persuasive communication, the art of intimidation through communication, and the list could go on and on. And those are all real books. (laughs) and real classes. And um, I know this because I've taken quite a few of them. There's nothing that big corporations like more than to send supervisors and managers to class. (laughs) I used to think I got paid mainly to go to seminars and meetings. But they, they try to teach you how to communicate. They're constantly trying to teach their employees how to communicate with each other, how to negotiate, how to mediate, all of which take communication. So now you're probably thinking I'm really off subject because the lesson is on listening, not communicating. The one thing you learn in all these seminars, though, is that communication is a dialogue between two people. And effectively, to have that dialogue, one person needs to speak and the other one needs to listen. And then it changes and it goes back and forth to where you can reach a conclusion or you can share information. And during this dialogue... Somebody has got to be listening. And there's books, li- there's books written on that too. There's active listening, listening with understanding, and acting after listening. So, you know, it's a prolific field, so it must need attention. If it didn't need attention, there wouldn't be so many people trying to write about it. That said, let's examine our prayer life. Do we spend as much time listening as we do talking? Be honest when you answer that question to yourself. In her book, Conversational Prayer, Rosalind Rinker said, instead of each of us making a prayer speech to God, let's talk things over with him, back and forth, including him in the discussion, as we do when we're having a conversation with a friend, because that's what God wants. You probably would have a hard time keeping friends if either you did all the talking and expecting them to listen, or they did all the talking expecting you to listen. And yet we're guilty of this in our conversation with God. In our study, The Hour That Changes the World, it's led us through many, many topics on prayer. And have you noticed they're all given equal time? We must assume them that they're equally important. 
A good thing to remember is that we do not engage in prayer to tell God what to do. Our goal in prayer is to discover what God wants us to do so that he will be glorified because that's really what it's about. And I have to admit that I get my eyes off the fact that my salvation and my destiny in Christ isn't about me. The one line of of the book, I think it's the first opening line of The Purpose Driven Life that Rick Warren wrote, says, it's not about you. And yet, to us, our universe is about us. So when when I realize that my life is not about me achieving or me being happy or content, and those are all blessings that God gives us, no, my walk with the Lord is about him and his kingdom. When I get my eyes off my desires and myself and my self-determined needs, I can stop and listen to what he has to say. I can listen to what his desire is for my life. I can listen to what his desire is for my day. But often, I'm so busy explaining my plans to him that I don't give him a chance to explain his plans to me. James 1, 18 and 19 says, He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word, and we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. We are his prized possessions. When I read that, I thought that was overwhelming. Out of all the things God created, all the universe, if you've traveled, all the majestic things and the animals, both the grand ones and the little weird ones, out of all those, we're his prized possession. So if we are his prized possession, maybe he would like to talk to us. So we determine that we need to listen to God. That's the first big hurdle. The next big question is, how does God speak to us? And what is the subject? Sometimes he speaks correction. In Genesis 3.10, after Adam and Eve had already eaten of the fruit that they were told not to eat of, they instantly knew that they had sinned, that they were wrong, that they were out of accord with God. And they knew that because God witnessed it to them. The Spirit of God told them that. So when God came down to walk with them, Adam answered and when God called, and Adam, he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. God had already showed him he was disobedient. He was speaking correction. Or in Isaiah 65, 12, it says, Now I will destine you for the sword. All of you will bow down before the executioner. For when I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not listen. You deliberately sinned before my very eyes and chose to do what you know I despise. I thought, now that's correction. <laughs> because they didn't listen. They, do, they did exactly what God had told them not to do. In Job 49, it says, are you as strong as God? Can you thunder with a voice like his? When, when you're angry at someone and you're correcting them, doesn't your voice take on a certain tone? When, when I, would, I would get kind of upset at home sometimes and, and we would be having a discussion, <laughs> my husband would say, when I got really upset, I always used my manager's voice. So, you know, you take on an edge. And that's what God can do. And that would be scary <laughs> to hear God do that. So we see that God's communication can be for correction. 
so he can change our path, so that we will repent, so that we will return to him. He doesn't correct us just to correct us. He does it because he loves us. He wants what's best for us, and what's best for us is to follow him. And when we get off track and we choose to go our own way, he brings us back, and he has to correct us. He also speaks love and concern over us. Psalms 95, 3 and 7 said, For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. He holds in his hands the depths of the earth and the mightiest mountain. The sea belongs to him, for he made it. His hands formed the dry land, too. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God. We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. If only you would listen to his voice today. This big praise and thing about how mighty God is and how much he loves us ends with a line that says, listen to him. In John 10, 3 and 4, Jesus again himself referred to himself as a shepherd. He said, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep recognizes his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and, they lead, and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. You have to listen to know his voice. You have to listen to follow. God longs to be intimately involved in our life. He really does want to communicate with us. He, um, so what, he speaks in various ways, sometimes dramatically, as we can see in the earthquake that he delivered Paul and Silas from prison with. <laughs> that was dramatic. That was God. Sometimes in whispers, as in speaking to Elijah in 1 Kings 19.12. Over the years, I've had many people say they wish they, that God spoke to them. And if God did speak, what does he sound like? How does he do it? What does he, you know, what does he say? A lot of people wonder. So let's talk about a few ways God speaks. He always, always, always speaks through his word. First, foremost, end of conversation through his word. As a side note, any communication you think you're getting from God should line up with his word. It needs to be filtered through his word. If you think that God's telling you to do something that the Bible's telling you not to do, it's not God. It's your own desire, it's the enemy, it's not God. Many times I've, I've heard people say, I had a friend come to me a few years ago and say that she was absolutely certain that God wanted her to divorce her husband. And I didn't even know there was a problem in their marriage and they were both going to church and, you know, they were Christians as far as I knew. And I said, what would make you think that? And she said, well, I'm just not happy anymore. And I don't think God, I prayed about it and God doesn't want me to be unhappy and I said, oh, gee, that's not what the Bible says at all. <laughs> I said, maybe you should go read the Bible. <laughs> Talk to your pastor or something. Because, you know, if, if we think we're hearing something like that, we're wrong. Because the, we, everything has to line up with God's word. Because that's how he speaks most. He always speaks through his word. But God speaks through thoughts sometimes. You ever have a problem you've prayed about and all of a sudden you get a really good idea and you know that it probably wasn't you? That used to happen to me and I'd go, I don't think I'm that smart. That had to be God, you know. So God speaks through thoughts. 
He speaks through visions. Just as he did with Peter before Peter was asked to go to the house of Cornelius and speak. He had a vision. He speaks through dreams, like when he told Joseph to arise and take Mary and the baby and flee to Egypt. Sometimes he reveals himself like he did to Moses on Mount Sinai, where his glory was so great that even though God protected Moses with his hand so as not to see him directly, Moses so radiated the glory of God that people couldn't look at him. They put a veil over his face. He speaks sometimes, it seems, audibly, just as he did with Abraham when he came down and talked with him. So those are all very dramatic ways, you might say, but they're all from the past. They're all in the Bible. They're all, you know, a long time ago. So you might say, what is God doing today? How does he speak today? Well, one of the things I love about God is he always shows up. Not just the way we need him, not always the way we want him, or when we want him, or where we want him. But he always shows up with exactly what we need. So I decided that I would come up with some illustrations of God speaking into our lives. And I didn't want to go too far afield and and quote somebody out of a book that I didn't know or talk about an experience that I had only heard of third hand. So these are fairly close to home. I have family in Northern California. And um, years ago, my brother-in-law decided that he didn't want to be married anymore, and he left my sister with two little kids. And one was, my niece was seven, her brother was four. And it really affected the kids, especially my niece. She just was so anxious. They were both, I mean, for months, they all slept in the same bedroom with their mother because they were so afraid that their mom wasn't going to be there when they woke up. And so my sister was trying very hard to accommodate that, but also to ease them back into their room so that they could start living a normal life and realize that life was going to go on. And they were just afraid they would be alone. And so we tried reassuring them. My husband and I went up and we told him, we said, even if something happened to your mommy, which nothing's going to, we would just move up here, we would move into your house, and everything would be okay. And and so my, my nephew finally, after a little bit, started sleeping in his own room pretty well. But my niece, every night, would go to bed in her own room, wake up crying and run to her mom, or cry and want her mom to run to her. So my sister would pray with her every night, and so she started this kind of, little little campaign and she would read her verses about peace and about Jesus and she finally said you know honey when you wake up and you're afraid if you just ask Jesus to come be with you then you won't be afraid and then after you do that if you still want to you can walk into my room but pray to Jesus first so the first night you know she wasn't quite as upset and she walked but she still came into her mom's room and the second night And the third night, she slept all night in her own room. And the next morning, my sister was making breakfast. And my niece came in, and and my sister said, Oh, hon, you slept in your whole room all night. That was really great. And she goes, It'll be okay from now on, Mom. And she says, Oh, okay, good. Did you pray? And she said, Yes. She said, I got afraid, and I prayed that Jesus would come so I wouldn't be alone. And she said, Jesus walked into my room. And she said, he came and he said, don't be afraid because I'm going to stay right here with you. And she said, and Jesus sat on my bed. And my sister called me the next morning and she said, 
She said, I, I actually believe that. And I said, oh, so do I. <laughs> I said, I believe that because that is, that is what God does. That is what God does. You have it that Jesus came to a little girl to be sure she wasn't afraid because he loved her and because he could do that. God does lots of things for us just because he can, which is an amazing thing. In Proverbs 133, it says, But all who listen to me will live in peace, untroubled by fear of harm. And that's a really good verse to think about when you're kind of afraid of what's going to happen, is that if we listen to him, we're going to live in peace. Because God does show up. The next one, I've used this illustration, so I'll give you the short version. And anybody who's already heard it, I'll apologize. But a few years ago, I was going through a really bad time in my family with my husband's um, health and illness. And he'd been in the hospital for a while. And it was up and down. He'd be better, he'd be worse. He'd be really worse, he'd be better. And um, through this time, you, you go every day and you do all this stuff. And people were praying for him, and I was praying for him. And, and I was getting really tired and frustrated and slightly angry and upset. And one night after a really bad day, I was coming home from the hospital. It was at night, and I was praying. And I started praying, and then it turned into more of me kind of railing on God. So (laughs) I was like, okay, I'm a believer, been a believer most of my life. My husband's a believer. We have great people of God praying for him, but you don't do anything. But I don't feel you. And I don't see you. And, and you're not reassuring me. And you don't heal him, but you don't let him be at peace. So where are you? Because if you are supposed to be here, why don't I feel you? And this was 10 minutes, so we won't go that whole time. But it was just kind of a, it was kind of a loop, you know, one of those wire recordings they used to have. And when I got home, I, I was all alone in my house, probably a good thing. And I walked in, and I was still talking out loud. This was all out loud. And I I thought, you know, I am just so frustrated. I was so distraught. And there was nothing I could do. And I was just, I couldn't figure it out. So when you're really upset like that, and you're kind of talking a lot, and you're kind of crying, every once in a while you have to come up for breath. So I kind of sat down on the chair, and I took a deep breath, and I just said, I don't get it, God. And very clearly, this voice came, and, and it it, probably, it might not have been audible. If there was anybody in the house, they might not have heard it, but I heard it. And he said, okay, but what do you know? And I literally said out loud, that is a stupid question. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I, sorry. <laughs> and the voice came back. And the voice came back and said, but what do you know about me? And I took a, a tablet of paper that was there and a pen And I just started out of memory writing what I knew about God and what he'd done. And about partway through the list, this giant ball of anger and fear and just whatever it was that was weighing me down broke. It just broke. And I was no longer distraught. Nothing was different. Absolutely nothing was different. (laughs) Except I knew who God was, and I reminded myself of that. I needed to be reminded that I serve a big God who loves me. And I do not have to understand what's happening. 
I just have to trust God that he knows what's happening. Isaiah 55, 9 says, For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I'm not going to think like God. I'm not going to understand what God's doing. Hardly ever. (laughs) But you know, I don't actually need to. I just need to know God and remind myself of that. Also, God can be humorous, and he's very creative. My husband liked to do woodworking, and he liked to build furniture sometimes, and he was working on a cabinet. My husband was an engineer, so when he built something, it was designed absolutely perfect. He would draw these diagrams out, and whether he was building a shelf or this cabinet or, you know, he could have been building a skyscraper. I mean, it was all, it was to scale, it was drawn out. He even drew how to cut the the parts out of the wood so that the grains would be right and you'd get the most out. And So he's a very detailed person. And, um, and he, he had drawn these plans, and, and the, the cabinet had glass in the, in the door, and it had to fit a certain way for the way he'd drawn it. And he broke the glass trying to put it in. And he said, I don't understand it. He said, it, this should have worked. I broke the glass. And I said, well, go buy more glass. I mean, you know, I was coming home from work. He always told me these things as I was walking through the garage. <laughs> so I said, well, just buy more glass. And so he goes, well, I guess that's what I'll do. So he got his plans out. And the next day I came home, and he said, I broke the glass again. He said, I think I'm going to have to redesign the door. And I said, well, the door's all built. Can't you, you know? I said, you'll figure it out. You always figure it out. And then I said, almost kiddingly, or you could pray about it. And he said, why would God care about my glass? <laughs> and I said, because God cares about everything we do. I said, remember, I keep telling you that my grandma always told me that. And so that was the end of it. Didn't make a big deal out of it. The next day I got home, and the cabinet had the glass in the door. And I said, oh, you figured it out. And he says, yeah, but he says, actually... He said, I had the third piece of glass, and he said, I brought the plans in, and I thought, maybe I'll redesign the door. And he said, I sat there, and he said, then I went and sat on the couch, and he said, I said, he said, almost kind of offhand, you know, God, if you can figure out how to put this glass in the door, I would really appreciate knowing. And he said, I actually laid down and took a nap, and he said, I woke up about 15 minutes later, and I knew exactly how to put the glass in the door. And I just kind of chuckled because I thought, boy, that's like God, huh? <laughs> In Exodus 36, 1, it says, The Lord gifted Beazel, Ohalib, and other craft, skilled craftsmen with wisdom and ability to perform any task involved in building the sanctuary. And he said, Let them construct and furnish the tabernacle, just as the Lord has commanded. God knows how to do all the things in our life, whether it's trivial or whether it's really important. And they all matter to him. And he speaks in all these ways. So you might say, what, what interferes with our listening? Usually us. We interfere. We are too preoccupied, too busy, too busy making plans, too busy living our life, too busy running here, there, and everywhere. To, to spend enough time listening to God. We're, sometimes we're afraid that God's going to tell us to do something we don't want to do. 
I remember the, the testimony Pastor Carol gave last week about how they were outside of their new house and their neighbors were outside and it looked like some Jehovah Witness or Mormons were leaving their house. And the Lord told her, he says, you need to go talk to those people or else they're going to go to hell. And she did. She didn't turn around and say, you talking to, to me? Is there somebody else? You know, she just did it because God spoke to her. And when God speaks to us and we respond like that, he'll speak to us again about those things. We have to practice listening. We have to practice following God's direction. So I have one more story, and, and it has to do with, um, with just an example. I got inspired by Gia's example of the hairball in her vacuum. So <laughs> the Holy Spirit kind of did that thing to me, but... As I said, I have family in Northern California, and I was just up there for a week because my four-year-old great-nephew was going to celebrate his fourth birthday, and we were having a Spider-Man party. And I went up the week ahead of time to help my niece get ready for the party. And that might seem excessive, except you don't know my niece. Her party for a four-year-old is planned with as much detail as the White House planning a state dinner, I'm, I swear. So <laughs> we had Spider-Man things. We had spider webs, and we had, she had gotten a silly string and relabeled it, and we were cutting out spider webs on her cricket to put webs on the front because they were now web launchers. And so, so she was cutting them out, and, but not all the little holes. If you've ever worked with a cricket, not all those little tiny pieces come out. So you have to sit there and poke them out, and that was my job. So... <laughs> And so Jacob came over, and he wanted to play with his Play-Doh. And she said, okay, play at that end of the table and don't bother us. And so he took out these new tubs of Play-Doh, and we took the wrappers off of them. And he had yellow and green and blue and red. And she said, okay, but do not mix the Play-Doh. And he said, okay. And so about 10 minutes went by, and he says, look what I made. And he holds up this disc. And he says, I made outer space. It really did look like the earth from outer space because it had yellow and green and red and a lot of blue. And I thought it was kind of cute. His mother, however, said, Jacob, I told you not to mix the Play-Doh. And he says, but I made outer space. And she said, well, don't mix any more of it. And he goes, okay. So we went back, we moved on to doing some other things, and she was making, covering boxes to make buildings or something, and, and um, he was playing, and he had this machine, I, I'm not in on Play-Doh play stuff, but he had this machine that you put Play-Doh inside of, and it has little discs that you put in, and it makes designs, only he's a boy, so he wasn't using any of the discs, he was just putting the Play-Doh in and cranking the handle, and it would come out, and so in this square... And so he goes, Auntie, look what I did. He said, and he cranked the handle, and this Play-Doh comes out. This gray, nondescript color of Play-Doh comes out. And he goes, I'm making Play-Doh poop. <laughs> I said, he's a boy. So I looked at that, and I went, oh. And I started to laugh. And my, my niece says, don't laugh at him. <laughs> she said, Jacob Dylan, look what you did. You mixed all the Play-Doh. I told you not to mix the Play-Doh. And he goes, uh-huh, but I made Play-Doh poop. <laughs> and she goes, you didn't listen to me. And he goes, I heard you. 
And she said, you heard me, but you obviously did not listen to me because you mixed the Play-Doh. And I didn't think much of it other than it was kind of cute. And then when I was studying this lesson, it came to mind, and I thought, that's what I do. That's what I do with my day sometimes. I go about my business my way, and what do I end up with? Play-Doh poop. (laughs) You know? This gray, nondescript whatever. When what God really wanted me to have were the vibrant colors. But I didn't go his way. I did it my way and ended up gray. God wants us to thrive. I love that song where it says we were made to thrive. God wants us to thrive. He wants us to have vibrant lives. And he knows the best way for us to do that is to serve him, to follow him, to live in his order, to listen to his voice. Then we'll thrive, and we won't end up with this mess that we make of things when I do it my way. He wants to direct my path. He has missions for me to do because it really isn't about me. It's about him. He wants us to do things for him. But if we aren't listening to him, we're going to walk right by him. And then we won't be as happy as we can be. He wants us to be fulfilled. But we can only be fulfilled when we're living for him. So I have a couple challenges, and I think they're listed on the paper. Next week, starting each day, or actually tomorrow, starting each day, the moment you get out of bed, or if your brain still works while you're in bed, the moment that you think about it, I want you to ask God to direct your day and to order your path. I want you to tell him you're going to make yourself available to listen to him. And when you're reading the word that morning, start it out by saying, Lord, I want you to talk to me through your word. I want to hear you. Our study on prayer is almost complete, and I think it's been a really good study. Hopefully it's impacted our lives more permanently than week to week. Two weeks ago, we studied Thanksgiving and singing. How many of you have practiced this type of prayer during the day? Have you spoken your thankfulness to God on purpose? And have you at least tried singing before the Lord? Last week, we were challenged on meditation. Did you spend time meditating on aspects of God? If you did, let's keep it up. Because, you know, it's too easy. It's just too easy to hear these things and be moved and touched and say, that's really wonderful, and to go out and not practice them. If we're going to do this stuff that we've learned on prayer, we have to practice it. We have to purposely sit down and do it till it becomes a habit. The next challenge is on the method. The method we've been studying, verse-by-verse analysis, is a great way to study the Word of God. It ensures that we are paying attention and not just reading. It's easy to read and not retain what we've read or to not really think about how it applies to us. We can read. I can sit down and read three, three chapters in the Bible and go, okay, fine, I finished my, my reading. But if I don't say, what is this saying to me? What's God saying in this? What, what, what did they write about? Why, why is this in the Bible? 
then I'm not really absorbing it. So starting off now, or if you need to wait until the end of Bible study, start then. We're going to have a few weeks off. Select an area of the Bible to read. Um, If you're reading through the Bible in a year, do it on your regular Bible reading. Otherwise, um, I'll give you a couple suggestions. Paul's epistles are really good. The Minor Prophets. I really like the Minor Prophets. Read it using the study guide. If you don't want to do a verse by verse, do a section by section. But read it and say, what was, what was Paul saying to the Thessalonians here? And why was he saying it? And what does that say to me? How can I use that in my life? What is God saying about that to me? And I guarantee if you do these activities and you practice your thanksgiving and your praise and all of those other things, that you're going to give God an opportunity to speak to you because you're going to be open to listen to him. And remember, we're God's prized possession. He loves us more than anything he made. He loves us. And he really, really wants a relationship with us. And that relationship means that we talk to him and he talks to us and we listen. So I just I want to close in prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you for, for your word. I thank you for what what you ministered to my life through this. And I ask you, dear God, that you will, you'll speak. Lord, we long to hear from you. And so, Lord, open up the scriptures as we read them. Open up our minds and our heart. Open up our ears so that we hear. And I ask you to be with all these women. I ask you to speak into their lives. And I just thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Amelie. I'm glad I don't have little kids because I'll never look at Play-Doh the same. So (laughs) that was a good illustration. Well, we actually did homework on meditation this past week, and so it was really good just listening to Amelie speak. It just reminded me a lot about what we went through this week in our homework and meditating and listening that way to the Lord. So if you could open up Table Leaders, your guys' homework, and take the next... Well, 20 minutes, 25 minutes to um, review your homework, and uh, I'll have you guys close in prayer, okay? Thank you.
Ladies, we have about seven minutes, so if you want to pray at your table, you, I want to allow you that time. If not, then you can continue, and we'll pray at the end.